This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Going to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, and for those of you that have been in Sunday school classes, many of the classes may have uh, dealt with some of this in the last week or so, and uh, so let's read that and then we'll pray together. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for, the, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you so much for the uh, evidence of being a promise keeper that you give us through all the scripture. And your promises are true, and amen, and they are right. And tonight we just look at a small portion of it, but Lord, we pray that you would bless it. And we ask you to use this to give us understanding, the context of what we're looking at, but also that you would help us, please, to be able to apply it to our lives and use it today. I pray you'd encourage and strengthen. I pray that you would challenge us tonight through the truths and principles that we look at. And may we glorify you. I need your help. And everyone in this room needs your help. Please help us. Speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We live, obviously, in unusual times. That's putting it mildly, right? Um, so many things have changed. We, we've changed the way that we are to meet in church. We change the way we purchase things. We, we change the way we uh, travel. We, we've changed a lot of things in these times, very unusual times. We've even changed the way that we clean. We've changed the way that we greet one another. I mean, I don't know if it's a handshake, a fist bump, an elbow bump, or a headbutt, or a, a hug, or, or, or what. But, um, you know, we've, we've changed a lot of things, and a lot of things have changed. A lot of, a lot of churches have seen some difficult times. I, I read uh, just recently of uh, in the next 18 months, it is uh, said that one in five churches, one out of every five churches, will close their doors permanently. Now, that's just a statistic, and God is the, uh, he is the Lord of his church, and he'll take care of, of his. But there are a lot of churches that, that are struggling, a lot of churches that are, that are closing down and, and not able to have services or not having services the way that they are used to. And, and I'm thankful that we get to meet and, 
And we ought to take advantage of it. It ought to mean more to us today than it did, you know, six months ago. Um, what we have is very special. And young people, I, I hope that you'll record this in your mind. I don't know that you'll be able to grasp it in the fullness of the blessing that it is right now, but you'll look back and you'll thank God for it one day. But we don't know what's ahead. I mean, the times are, are very unusual, and we think, you know, what are we going to do from here? How do we proceed? What does the path ahead look like? Because we've not passed this way heretofore. And we ask this question tonight in light of COVID, but you may ask these questions yourself in light of other things, like the death of a loved one. Where do we go from here? The loss of job or loss of income or uh, hurtful struggles in, in a marriage um, or in relationships with your, with your children, whether young or whether adult children. Um, maybe test results that, that you've received from a doctor that are unfavorable. And then the medications and the treatments that oftentimes seem worse than, uh, than the sickness or the problem itself. And maybe for some, we just get to a place to where we're just overwhelmed with life and overwhelmed with responsibilities and overwhelmed with a lot of other issues. And it seems to uh, roll over us as waves and as billows. How do we proceed? What does the path ahead look like? Well, Joshua and the people of Israel were headed for the promised land. And that was in their sights. And they had been traveling for a little time, this second generation. They had been traveling. They were headed toward the promised land. And at this point in chapter number 3, they didn't know exactly how and what steps they were going to take, how they were going to proceed, how were they going to get into the promised land? I mean, they had a pretty big obstacle in front of them, the Jordan River. They had a walled city of Jericho that was just on the other side. And uh, people who knew that they were coming and were fearful because uh, the Israelites were, were coming and they knew that they were, but they didn't know the path that they would take and what it looked like ahead. And so they're looking toward the promised land. And oftentimes we think of the promised land and we think of several things, but, but what did it mean for them? What does the promised land mean for us? Well, I think it certainly represented for them fulfilled promises. I mean, it was called the promised land. God had made a promise to the descendants of Abraham hundreds of years prior to this time. And so this was a promise that started way back with Abraham, and that promise was confirmed and passed down to Isaac and to Jacob. And then we see the issue of Joseph, Jacob's son, and, and uh, the, the famine and the drought and uh, the, the family of Israel, of Jacob, coming into Egypt and uh, getting in a very favorable place, Goshen, and beginning to prosper there and to grow in number and to multiply as God had promised would happen. And then, of course, a, a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph came along and began to feel threatened and uh, decided that they were going to put their fingers upon these uh, blessed people, the, the, the Israelites who were growing and so forth. And they began to enslave them and use them for generations for their own bidding and as slaves and uh, made them work in rigor and hard times. And yet... I mean, even to the point of wanting to, uh, trying to kill their uh, men children as they were born and, and trying to 
destroy their, their influence and, and their growth. And so this was a promise that was given to them. And, and, and with this promise in sight, uh, God brought up Moses. And he used Moses to uh, free the people of Israel from Egypt. And we see the miraculous power and the work of God in fulfilling his promises. God was going to make sure that his promise was fulfilled. And so they come to the doorstep, if you will, of the promised land that they were to get, that first generation. They had traveled a little less than a couple of years, and along the way there was murmuring and complaining. And as you look in the scriptures and you follow that, you, you, you realize that every time they tried to move forward, every time they, they were moving forward toward the promised land and following the Lord's direction, every single time somebody, some group, some family member, uh, somebody, even the, the, the whole of the nation would murmur, would complain. Oh, may God help us as we move forward to not to be like those first-generation Israelites who murmured and complained because of discomfort, uh, because of issues that arise because of growth, uh, that we, we're not murmurers and complainers, but rejoicing in what God is doing and seeing with spiritual eyes how God is using these circumstances to, to help us. The, the, the ultimate price that they paid, the ultimate judgment was that those men, those warriors who were 20 years old and upward were going to die and they were going to wander in the wilderness uh, for a total of 40 years. And they did. Children were born and this next generation was raised for the most part. Many of them, they were raised in the wilderness. And now they are being moved. Moses has died and now they are, are are coming into the promised land and they're going forward. And this was a promise that they were on the cusp of entering into the promised land and seeing the God of promises keep and fulfill what he had said hundreds of years prior. And they were going to do it in this generation. They were going to be the ones to see it. It meant to them fulfilled promises. Aren't you glad that God cannot lie? Hey, when God says something, it's going to happen. When God gives a promise, he's going to keep it. Even if it's a long time before he does it. And Titus said, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Oh, listen, they, it represented to them fulfilled promises, but it also represented to them rest. It represented to them rest. And when I, when I say rest, I'm talking of a, a place to call home. They hadn't had a home in hundreds of years. They had not had a, a place of their own and God had given them this land that flowed with milk and honey and it was a place to call home. It was a place they were going to finally be able to settle in. It was a place they were going to be satisfied with what God had provided. And their rest wasn't necessarily in the land and all the things that God had promised that would be there. Their rest was in the Lord that had given that land. Because they knew that, that to get that land, the Lord was going to have to disperse the people. They were, he was going to have to move them out. It wasn't going to be done with ease on the side of, of the Israelites. But God was going to make it happen for them. The Lord was their rest. He was their home. He was, uh, he was the one that they were settled in following and trusting that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. It also represented victory. 
You think about the word victory, the word victory implies challenges. I mean, you can't have a victory without a battle. You can't have a victory without a competition. You can't have a victory without a challenge. And it, and it represented a victory to them. And I believe that God intends for his people, as it applies to us, that he intends his people to live in victory. To live following the Lord and resting in him and seeing his promises fulfilled. And so it represented victory to them. Finally, where God wanted them. They knew the promised land was there, but how would they get there? How would they proceed? And so I want to give you just a few things this evening that I find in these verses that I think we can apply to our own lives as you find yourself in this time realizing that we have not passed this way heretofore, what do we do from here? And so number one, we see that they were to keep moving. The children of Israel simply were to keep moving. Look in verse number one. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. They were all moving, and they had moved quite a distance, if you recall. They didn't know the next step, but they went as far as they could. They kept moving forward. This generation had not given up. They had not said, this is too difficult. They just kept moving, and they met an obstacle. That obstacle was the Jordan River. That obstacle was now, according to chapter, or the end of chapter 3, it was flooded because it was during the time of harvest. And so it was impossible to swim across as far as, you know, a group of a million to two million people. But they came to this obstacle. But I want to remind you, they'd met obstacles before as they kept moving. As God took them out of uh, the area of the wilderness and and used Moses and Joshua to lead them up toward the promised land. You remember they had to go around Edom. And the Bible says that because they went around Edom, Edom wouldn't allow the, the Israelites to come through the king's highway where it would have been the simpler and easiest path. And they would come out to battle with them. Edom was the descendant, were the descendants of Esau, Israel's brother. And they weren't going to let them pass through the land. And so they went down and around the land of Edom. And the Bible says that they were discouraged in the way, yet they kept going. And then they got up into uh, where the Amorite kings were. Sion was there, and he felt threatened, of course, and came out against them. And, and they went out to battle, and they defeated uh, Sion, the king, uh, uh, an Amorite king. And then as they continued to move on, Og came out against them, a king who was a giant, and he came out against them, and they defeated him. And the Bible tells us that not one Israeli soldier died. Not one was injured. Not one was defeated. Every single one of them continued. So they met discouragement. They met battles, yet they kept moving. They even came to the, the place where Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, felt threatened. And God had said, I'm going to take care of them later. I don't want you to deal with them. The Moabites were descendants of the incestuous relationship that Lot had with his daughters. And he said, I'm going to deal with them. I don't want you to go to battle. 
So Balak decided himself that instead of going to battle and what he had seen with Sion and Og, that he's going to go and find Balaam and get help from the Midianites. The Midianites are descendants from Abraham's son with Keturah. And so they, uh, they bring Balaam and, and, and Balak wants Balaam to curse him. But God took a cursing and took it and turned it into a blessing. Isn't it amazing how God can take a curse and turn it in? So he can take something bad and he can turn it into something good. Amen. And he sure did. And he wouldn't allow Balaam to curse the people. I mean, they, they built seven altars three different times and they uh, sacrificed rams and lambs and all sorts of things that they did. But all that could come out of the mouth of the false prophet of Balaam, that wicked prophet, was the blessings of God on his people. You cannot curse what God has blessed. They had faced obstacles. Balaam had the wicked idea of bringing the Moabite daughters down to the Israelite young men and immorality and sinfulness and wickedness took place. God dealt with it. Many died as a result. The judgment was stayed because of the acts of Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron. And that was a sad day for the people of God. But they kept moving. They had been discouraged. They had been in battles. They had dealt with sin that affected so many people. Yet they kept moving. And God's people, when we don't know the pathway to go, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what the next step is, I'll tell you what God expects of us to do is to get up and keep moving. Not to quit, not to lay down our arms, if you will, not to give up and not to cower in the corner in a defensive posture. That is not a posture that God gives the believer. We're to be moving. And they kept moving. They weren't ready to give up. May God help us to keep moving forward by faith as individuals and as a church. I, I read a story a long time ago of a formula... formula, formula Sorry, it's coming out. I'm trying to keep it in. <laughs> but Formula One race car driver, Johnny Herbert, <clears throat> and uh, he had a terrible accident. He was one of the quickest uh, rising up in the ranks Formula One race car driver, and he had a horrible accident. This was back in the 80s. And he had a horrible accident, and it just about just almost severed both of his feet. They did surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery, and the doctor came to him. And, and as I remember the story, the doctor said, Look, I, I, I saved your foot, and, and we're working on it and, and, and after all these surgeries. However, you've got one of two choices. The way that I have to fuse all this together and the way that I have to build your foot back, I've either got to build it back with your foot up, or, and it's going to be like that, or, I've got to build it to where your foot's down. He's a race car driver. What do you think he chose? He said, Doc, I want my foot down because I can't race when my foot's up. And would you know that man got back in the race car and drove? He didn't reach to the, to the extreme that he was prior to that. But what an inspiration and what a help. Why? Because he decided that he was not going to quit. He was going to keep moving. I'm sure he went through discouragement. I'm sure he went through battles. I'm sure that, that he had issues of his own, but he kept moving. And may God help us, just like God helped them, to keep moving. Number two, not only did they keep moving, but they were to keep their eyes on the Lord. That's pretty simple, but it's so easy to get our eyes off of him, isn't it? 
Sounds so simple and so easy. Look at verses 2 and 3. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. And so they were to keep their eyes on the Lord. How? By following the ark. Now, why the ark? What did the ark of the covenant mean to them? Well, the ark of the covenant was a very important piece of, of furniture. And that ark represented to them God's presence among them. I'm talking about the God of the universe through the Ark of the Covenant and through the things that he did with it and the things that he showed uh, by the items that were placed inside of it. It was a representation of God's presence among his people. It was a representation of God's power among his people. It represented to them the provision of God. And they no longer, as I can understand it, they no longer had the pillar of the fire and the cloud at this point. They had the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And they were to keep their eyes on that ark. But I want you to notice that ark also had to be carried. And there were priests, the Levites, bearing it. Now, usually the ark of the covenant would stay in the middle of the camp. And the uh, Levites would encamp around it to protect people from entering in and defiling and being judged. Then when they moved in the procession, uh, they, the ark was in the middle. But now... The position has changed and it is right out front and it's not the Kohathite Levites who are, uh, who are dealing with it. It is the priests who are dealing with it and carrying the ark. I mean, this was a big deal. This was a turning point. This was a, this was a change for them and they were looking toward the promised land and they knew that they needed God. And so they, were, they had to keep their eyes on him and on the priests that were carrying the ark. Now, these priests were called of God, born into the priesthood. But they represented the leadership of God. And aren't you glad that God has a structure as he's leading his people? And that structure is very clear for the New Testament church. And if we're going to keep our eyes on God, we're going to have to follow the word of God and follow the man of God as he preaches the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. The Bible reminds us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weights and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run the race, uh, run with patience the race that is set before us. Doing what, folks? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When our eyes are on him, all of the discouragement and all of the issues seem to pale in comparison to the holiness and to the power and to the provision of God. Amen. They were to keep their eyes on the Lord and we are to keep our eyes on our Savior as well. Oh, how are they going to proceed? Well, they were to keep moving. And they were to keep their eyes on the Lord. But I want you to see also that they were to follow together. They were to follow together. Verse number four says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Social distancing right there. Aren't you glad that that's not us right now, you know? 
a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits. That's a little bit more than a half a mile. Now keep in mind the number of people that we're talking about. One to two million people. And if they're going to follow, if they're going to follow uh, the Lord, then they're going to have to have unity. And they're going to have to have clarity. And that distance, I mean, some have said that the distance was because of the holiness of God and His ark, and there's no doubt uh, that, that uh, there have been many judgments of the Lord that we've seen in the Scriptures because of mishandling the ark of the covenant or being too close to it and, 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 and profaning it or, or uh, defiling. And I don't know if that was the reason or not, but I do know this, that if they were going to follow that, they would not be able to see it if all the people are gathered around it. They would not be able to go in together and know which direction to go. That's what the Bible tells us. In verse 4, Yet thou shalt be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way here to four. And so we understand that God wanted them to do this together. This land of promise was for the people. The things that it represented was for the people. And God has given us wonderful and precious promises. And those promises are applied to us as individuals, but there are wonderful promises that God has given us as a church family and as a church body. And God wants us to move and God wants us to keep our eyes on Him and follow the leadership that He has given us, but He also wants us to do it together in unity. There's nothing that discourages, I would imagine, the heart of God than to see His children in disunity. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for my people to, 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 to dwell in unity. And God wants us to dwell in unity. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look with me in verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you believe God has a, has a purpose and a will for the Tabernacle Baptist Church? Then don't you also believe that if he has a purpose and a will for the Tabernacle Baptist Church that he wants all of us to be involved in it? And he wants all of us to go forward together. And he wants all of us to be in unity one with another. May God help us not to allow the devil uh, to cause stress and division among his people. When you're moving forward, there's friction. You know what? You can't trip up and fall unless you're moving forward. But I'd rather, I'd rather be moving forward and have struggles than to stand still and never see God use and work and fulfill His promises in me and in you. And we must be in unity. Don't allow the frustrations of this flesh to cause disharmony 
among God's people. Not only did he want them to follow in unity, but in clarity. And to do that, they needed to consider one another. I mean, picture these hundreds of thousands of people and the ark is a half mile in front of them. The priests are carrying them. And these flat plains between Chittim and Jordan. And for everyone to stay together, they had to be focused upon the Lord. They had to have a clear sight line uh, for that ark. And so they had to consider one another. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they, I know we were here, all the staff, about 40 of us taking pictures and we had to put the short ones down front and the tall ones in the back and had to consider one another if everybody wanted to get in the picture. I don't think they went through and put all the children first and all that, but they had to consider one another and make sure that everybody's coming along, make sure that everybody's staying together. Hey, it's, it's not just our pastor's job to, to be the sheepdog, if you will, to be the shepherd and to try to keep us all together. That's the part of all of the sheep, Right? And we need, to, uh, we need to recognize when there may be folks that may be getting out of the way and veering off to the side and recognize that, that God may have given us the opportunity to encourage them. I'm not talking about preaching a sermon and putting your bony finger in their face. What I'm talking about is using words of encouragement and strength to help them to, to, to get back in line and to get in unity and to stay with the flock and to follow together. And to encourage one another. And so they were to follow together in unity and in clarity. They were to keep their eyes on the Lord and they were to keep moving. And lastly, number four, they were to stay prepared. They were to stay prepared. Look with me in verse five. And Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. That was on an individual basis for every individual Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. At this point, they still didn't know what God was going to do with the Jordan River. But they said, be prepared. Because the Lord will do wonders among you. The word sanctify literally means prepare, dedicate, separate. Why? Because the Lord will do wonders among you. There have been three thoughts that have, that have been in, on my heart that God has just reminded me of over and over and over. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be what? Be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now, may I submit to you that that is not a suggestion, that is not something that is... Uh, based on, on God's side, if you will. It is a command for us to be filled with His Spirit. And the word filled in the context is simply meaning under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm commanded to be filled. It's not something that I have to beg God to do. He wants to do it. He wants to fill me. But I must submit myself to His authority. I must allow Him to show me the areas of my life that are sinful, the motives that are wrong, and allow Him to, to, to influence my heart so that I can be filled with His will and with His desires. Be filled with the Spirit. Be under His influence. Acknowledge Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him 
and he shall direct thy path. That is, to me, one of the clearest uh, explanations of what it means to be under the influence of the Spirit of God, to acknowledge him in everything, to include him in all things, and to allow him, be submitted to him, and allow him to lead our lives. But I also find Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. You understand that's a command as well? God's people ought to be joyful people. God's people ought to be happy people. I understand that we get discouraged. I understand that we go through battles. And I understand that we even fail in sin. But we're to keep moving. We're to keep our eyes on the Lord. We're to follow together and we're to stay prepared. And as God works in our hearts... And as we see the, the, the elements of, of sinfulness and of flesh, isn't it a blessing that we can go to God and get that cared for? And that ought to cause us to be able to rejoice. No matter what the circumstances, we can rejoice in the Lord. We ought to be joyful people and rejoicing in what God has given us to do and allows us to do. I also see another one in 1 Peter 1.16. Be ye holy. I, the Lord, am holy. Well, that seems to be a tough one. What does it mean to be holy? I think a good definition of, of being holy is akin to sanctified, is dedicated. God says, I want you to be dedicated because I'm dedicated to you. How dedicated was God to us or is God to us? Bless you. How dedicated... How dedicated is God to us in sending his son? And with all the dedication, <laughs> I did ask for the Lord to help us have a good time tonight. But God commands us to be dedicated. Now listen, we, we, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that you sit around and read your Bible for 24 hours and, and pray and, and, and that you, you don't live life. God, God wants us to be dedicated to him in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. And so he says, sanctify yourselves. Set yourself apart for God and what God wants to do. Why? Because he wants to do wonders and he's going to do them. They were to stay prepared. They were to do all these things. They were to keep moving and keep their eyes on the Lord and follow together and stay prepared. They were to do all these things before they even knew the next step ahead. Look at verse 6. He still hasn't told them what they're going to do. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that thou may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Reminds me of the verse, Be still and know 
that I am God. They have done everything that they were supposed to do. God told Joshua what to tell the people and how they were going to cross over. And what a miraculous thing took place. Because when they did that, when the priests put their foot in the water, the water separated and they crossed over on dry land, the Bible says. What a miraculous show of God's power. What a miraculous fulfillment of God's promise as they march across Jordan and into the promised land. What wonders the Lord did. I don't know where you're at in these thoughts of how do we proceed as a church. Pastor, and uh, of course, is, is pleading with God and asking for wisdom in leading us forward, and he is. And I'm thankful. And God has blessed that. But what does the path ahead look like? with COVID or with your struggle, your hurt, your feelings of being overwhelmed, what does the path look like ahead? Because you've not passed this way heretofore. I don't know what they look like ahead, but I know that God knows. And I know that however he is going to fulfill his promises in you and in us, it is going to be wonderful. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be awesome. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. And may you know tonight God is holding your hand. And you're looking around thinking, what in the world do we do? Just keep holding on to his hand. Let's keep moving. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's stay together. Let's stay prepared. Because God is using this and using your circumstance in your life for his glory, for the saving of souls. What could be more wonderful than that? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.